This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Amen. Again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the music. Uh, it's good to know that we have a great and awesome God, and uh, it's good to, to worship and sing about Him. This morning, the title is Tough Questions, and we're going to look at several different things here this morning and different questions that have been asked throughout Scripture, and, um, but questions. How about the questions driving, are we there yet? Or maybe it's just hanging around the house and the kids, Dad, what does this do? Especially if you have little boys or anybody that's like, they got to touch things and tangible things. I have a little boy and I have a girl that has to touch everything and figure everything out, which is amazing. But man, sometimes I just want to be like, I don't know. Like, anybody? Dad, what does this do? Dad, why does this happen? Dad, what? Dad, dad, dad. Or mom, mom, can I help make that in the kitchen? Mom, what's this? Mom, where are we going? That's classic in my home. Is it classic in anybody else's home? Hey, kids, go get dressed. Well, where are we going? It doesn't matter where we're going. I said, go get dressed. And then, well, but, but where are we going? Just put some shorts on and a t-shirt. We're walking out of the house. We're leaving. But why? Because I want to. Right? Questions. We love them. I love all of my children. I'm not saying that. But we all have those, those questions in the house where you're just like, if you ask that question one more time, right? Today, this isn't what we're going after. We're not hitting on those particular questions or those particular things. But, but questions are something that we like, and they're also something that we don't like, depending on who is asking, depending on what the subject is, how invasive they are, how personal that it becomes. The reality is there's a lot of great, great, great questions that have been asked. There's a lot of great questions that need to be asked. Maybe it's things like, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Is there life after death? Why do bad things happen to good people? That list of questions can go on and on and on of, of good questions, that questions that stir our mind and make us think. How about those questions that are asked and there's really not the answer, but you just spend time going, oh, I've got to figure that out, right? And we ask a lot of questions, and there's a lot of questions that are out there. Jesus asked questions. Jesus was the master of all things, but he asked questions that were riveting. He asked questions that made you stop and think. The thing that Jesus, even beyond just in his teaching, Jesus was great with questions and that he would ask a question. And what do you want when you ask a question? An answer. Jesus wasn't the one. He had the answers. He would ask a question, and then he would kind of leave it there, and he would teach about the question, but he would never say, here it is. So often, it was like, here's the question. He would make you think about it. Even now, we read about it. We have the scriptures, and you read them, and you're like, all right, give us the perfect answer, Jesus, and he gives us everything about it to make us think and to make us go through it. And some, so often he doesn't just say, 
that's it right there. Now, throughout Scripture, it does, and throughout reading, it does, and all of those things. But things like, and we've looked at some of these over the last several months here at the church. Who do you say that I am? Do you love me? He looked at Peter after Peter had walked on the water, and Peter now falls down, and he goes, why are you doubting me? Like, in my mental whatever as a human being, if I was walking on the water and then Jesus looked at me and was like, why are you doubting me? I'd be like, can you shut up? Do you understand? I was just walking on the water. I wasn't doubting you. But right? Even in the midst of that, Peter did doubt. And he says, you were doing so good. Why, why did you take your eyes off me? Why would you doubt me? Jesus asks a number of questions. Great questions. Here in Galatians chapter 3. Paul asks six tough questions, questions that engage and challenge the Galatian church. Many of you have been with us. We have been going through the book of Galatians. I believe we're in, what do we say, week 13? Uh, week 13, we've got through two chapters. We're making great headway. But we've talked about all of this. We've dug into this in the depths of what this is. And, and Paul was writing and Paul had, had hit on everything very, very boldly here. And he's looking at a couple things in the first couple chapters. In a nutshell, he is, he is really tackling that it is grace. It is the grace of God through faith and faith alone, as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that is our salvation, period. It is only in Jesus. There is nothing else that we can add to it. It is only by us placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. He tackles that. He begins to also, he, he tackles and reestablishes who he is as an apostle, if you remember, they were trying to, they were questioning him that he wasn't an apostle because they didn't deem him an apostle. And he made it clear, I am an apostle not because of what you said, I am an apostle because God said. And so we walked through all of those things. In the last three weeks, we've hit very heavy on justification and what that is, and that we have been declared righteous by God if we know and place our faith and trust in him. And this morning, I, I kind of liken some of what I've been studying throughout this week to this. So many times we sit in a church setting just like this, and I will pose a question, or I will make a statement, or we will sing a song, or we will do whatever it is, and, and it's so easy in a gathering like this for me to stand here and me to make a statement, and you guys say, amen, pastor, preach it. Thank you. So it's easy in this setting for us to nod our heads and agree, for us to raise a hand, for us to, to make a statement of an amen or whatever it is. And Paul kind of had been doing that. Paul was teaching as a whole. Paul was very confrontational in that. But he begins to now ask these questions, which takes it a little bit deeper, and it's a little bit more personal. So I could stand here and I could ask questions to you in this gathering of people and I could say, isn't God good? God is good. 
God is great. We just sung, how great thou art, and we'll shout it and we'll scream it. But if I took that and became more personal and I came right into your living room or we were to sit into an office or we were to sit on one of these chairs and I would say, but what is God doing in your life? We say God is good. We say God is great. But what if I were to come and sit down in your living room and say, hey, I don't want to hear that God is good. I don't want to hear that God is great. I want you to tell me. What is God doing in your life? What has the word of God been teaching you in your life? I mean, that gets a lot more personal. And in many regards, Paul is taking some of what he has done. Is he's now taking it much more personal. And he's saying, hey, I don't want to just come at you from the, 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 the helicopter view or whatever we would call that. I want to bring that now. I want to. I want to pinpoint some things, and I want you to answer some things for me, because it's a lot different. Has anybody ever sat down with you and said, hey, would you just tell me what God's doing in your life? That's a, it's not the easiest question to answer sometimes, because you know why? Because I'm a human being. You know what I want to tell you? Oh, look how great. God's doing all of these things, and sometimes you go, I uh, I don't know what to tell you. But when it becomes personal, things become different. The questions become more difficult. And this morning, I believe, if you were with us on Wednesday night, Wednesday night we did a time of worship and prayer and we took communion together. And the very first part of our prayer service was just on examining our hearts. And we looked at what that was. What is it to examine our hearts? And and I believe that this is is Paul kind of going back to the church and saying, hey, let's examine some things. Let's take a look at some things uh, that are taking place. And so if you have your Bible with me, with you, Galatians chapter number three is where we are. And I will be reading the first five verses this morning. And I don't really necessarily have points. I guess we can call them points, but there's six questions in these first five verses. And so each one of my Points, if you will, is one of the questions that is asked. And so we're going to dive in all of those. So my points are the scripture and they'll be up there. But Galatians chapter 3 in verse number 1 says this. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith. Father, would you meet with us this morning? Would your word speak to us? Would we take these questions and not look at them as what Paul wrote so many years ago for a a church that is not us? But Lord, would we truly take it and look at these, these questions that are asked, apply them to our own lives, and truly examine ourselves through the word of God this morning? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 
One of the things that I believe all of us struggle with, maybe not you, but I struggle with, is, is just sometimes I settle down. I just become comfortable. Anybody else just settle and get comfortable? I don't know what time you get off work, but I usually leave the office in between 5 and 5.30. <laughs> um, and as I am leaving the office at 5, 5.30, whenever I get home, what I like to do when I get home is sit on the couch and put my feet up and not think about anything. Anybody else? That's what I enjoy. Fall has happened, and it doesn't really happen right now. The last two weeks have not been. Madison's playing volleyball. EJ's playing some baseball. And so it's like there has been no, like, just kicking our feet up. I feel like I'm, I am a, I'm apologetic now as a parent looking back, and I'm like, man, all of the things that I'm going through I did to my parents running me to sports practice or my sisters or all of those things. And I'm like, ah, why did I do that? Like, I'm feeling all of it right now. And I always said I wouldn't be that parent who's just running everywhere with sports, and I feel like that right now. But at any rate, so, so often we settle, we get comfortable. Maybe we would call it normal or average, but as we look at this, I want us to stop for a moment as we get into these, these questions, and I really, truly want us to read these questions and, and apply them to our own, to our lives. How can we, how can I be all of the, this that God has had me or made me to do, created me to be, when I'm just extremely comfortable? It's okay to sit at church it's okay to be here once a week. It's okay to just get my fill. It's okay to do those things and just, well, I did what I was supposed to do for the week. One of the statements that I read this week is an unexamined life forfeits the fullness of God's blessing. An unexamined life forfeits the fullness of God's blessing. If I am willing to sit and rest and unexamine and not look at my life, I forfeit so many blessings that God has for me. Psalms chapter 139 says this way, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And what? See if there be any wicked way in me. And it says this, and lead me in the way everlasting. If I never stop to search and I just settle and go, God, I'm doing okay today. I never truly tap in to the blessing that God has for me. Because if I don't examine, man, I'm missing out. Do you know why we don't examine? Do you know why I don't examine? Fear, shame, maybe I don't have an answer. There's a lot of reasons. You know what a lot of, lot of it is? <laughs> I don't want to look at myself and go, oh my word, I'm failing here. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this. And it hurts. It's hard to look in the mirror of God's word and begin to change those things. So for the next couple minutes, we're going to dive into these six questions. The first one is this in verse number one. 
says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. There's several things in here that we'll look at. Paul, is, as he has been throughout this whole letter, we talked about this at the very, very beginning. Paul was a little bit flustered. Paul was, if we call it, angry or irritated or whatever it is. Paul is that. But at the same time, he was shocked. He was confused. He was caught off guard. It says in verse number 6 of chapter 1, I marvel that you are so soon removed. I'm amazed that how quickly you left from following the law and living in this manner to come over to the grace of God and then how quickly you went right back to doing all of the things that you, you were leaving because you knew that it wasn't right. He was astonished. He was bothered. Paul begins to, in this question, and really throughout these next couple questions, really begins to try to pry out who was teaching and who was giving them false teachings and who was teaching this error. And he wanted to point it specifically to a spot, and he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, here's what we must, we must understand and we must know because I believe this is where all of us often find ourselves. He is not saying that the Galatians were not intelligent. He was not questioning their smarts. He was not questioning any of those things. But that word foolish is literally saying, he says, you have become lazy. You have become careless. Has anybody ever become careless and lazy with the word of God? I have. I have found myself just taking it in and, and whatever it would be, and I become careless with the Word of God. I become careless with the truths that I allow into my life. I become careless, and he says to them, Oh, you foolish Galatians, why is what he's saying? Why have you become so careless? Why do you no longer care about the Word of God that is being taught? And he looks at them, and, and I can understand this. If you are a teacher, you can understand this. How frustrating it is to pour out to teach something and people underneath of you get it and then turn from it. He, he looks at them and he's like, I have taught you the word of God. I don't, I don't view Paul as a guy that just kind of beat around the bush. I view Paul as a guy that smacked head on his teaching and preaching. Like Paul wasn't, he didn't mince his words when he taught the word of God. And so as Paul is teaching, I can't imagine that they didn't know exactly what it was, the grace of God and the salvation that they had as they placed their faith and trust in him. I don't imagine that there was any, uh, it, was, it was head on. But yet they quit. <laughs> they quit using their heads. Have you ever said that? Would you just, would you just use your head for a minute? Just stop and think and use your head. I tell my children that all the time. Just, just think about what you just said. Stop and think. They stopped thinking and examining themselves. They got comfortable and they allowed things in that shouldn't have been in. They foolishly fell right back into the legalism that they were leaving. Right back into the law. Paul said it of himself in Titus chapter 3. That he was foolish. 
before salvation that he was foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, envious, hateful. Jesus used the word foolish to to a couple of his disciples in Luke 24. He said, you foolish men and slow of heart. The Galatians had foolishly followed error. Error they shouldn't have been a part of. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians, who in the world bewitched you? Literally, who enchanted you? Who cast a spell on you? Who was delighting your eye, so to speak? Who was it? The Word of God says it's the the tickling of the ear. Maybe for our day and age and what it is, we, we fall prey, if you will, to living based on emotion. And if I can grasp your emotion, I can do so much with so many things. Just turn on the news. What are they trying to do? They want to catch your emotion. We don't think anymore. We live based on the emotion. And if you tickle the emotion, then I'm going over there. And if they do it, then I'm going over here. And Paul says, who bewitched you? Who did this to you? That you would allow them just to to, to, to play with your emotions so much that all of a sudden you believe that you have to go backwards into all of these things. Instead of instantly recognizing the false teaching, they became uh, willing to to dive right back in and to be misled. Listen, these were not victims. These were people that carelessly allowed junk into their life that affected them. They weren't victims. So often I think we, we like to use the victim thing. Well, this is going on, so this is what I have to do. No. No. They failed to see it, even though it was, it says, publicly portrayed. What Paul was saying here, and what, as I studied and as I looked through this passage of Scripture, the question of, You foolish Galatians who bewitched you that you would not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth and crucified among you. Paul is saying this, and this is what it is. Whose eyes you were standing in and amongst this group of people. It was publicly proclaimed. It was literally as if it was a billboard in the middle of Times Square. There is no doubt within my mind that you knew the truth. You all came together. You were witnesses of the salvation of of one another you witnessed all of this it was as if in, in, in my study it was as if they heard the nails being hit by the hammer it was presented so clear and so evident to them that it was that obvious how could you have le- left those things you know how because we become comfortable And we allow stuff in, in our carelessness. We don't guard our hearts. We don't guard the things that we have as opposed to, or what we rather do is we go, well, things are kind of rough right now, and this is going to fix it today. This feels right. Paul says, no, no. You're leaving all of these things that you know to be true. Their issue was not that they didn't know the truth. 
their issue that they became comfortable and they became unguarded. I would ask this to you. Do we, do you, do I guard the truths of God's word in my heart? Have I set up boundaries in my life to guard the truths of God's word? What do I allow in that impact? Listen, we live in a culture, and it's not something that was new for them. Our culture, our church culture, is geared at impacting your emotion. And if I can impact your emotion, then I can do a lot. And a lot of that is false teaching. But I've won the emotion. And so, well, they're teaching the word of God. They use the Bible. It's the same Bible that I use. If we don't guard it, we so quickly can walk down that road. And before we know it, here we are doing and acting and saying things. And we'd go, whoa. Have you ever talked to somebody and they've said, yes, I know Jesus Christ is your savior, is my Savior. And you begin to talk to them. And you're like, I don't know about that. And then they'll tell you, well, I go to such and such church and I do this and I do that. And you're like, that's, that's great. But when they're telling you about salvation, they're telling you about who God is, they're telling you about some of those things. You're like, man, that sounds like a good story, but that just, I don't know that that lines up with salvation in Scripture. I'm not opposed to a lot of the things and a lot of you know, music and some of the things that we have in our churches. But when we teach and base it on our feelings and emotions, we have opened a door that can be so destructive, especially when our hearts are not guarded and we become careless with the word of God. Second thought. Second question, in verse number two, this only would I learn of you, received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He asks this question, he says just this really plainly and clearly, I want to know one thing and one thing only right now. Paul asks the question, I need to know this one thing, did you receive the spirit because of the works of the law? Or did you receive the Spirit because of the hearing of faith and placing faith and trust in Jesus Christ? That's all I need to know. Those are the two things that are presented in this moment. Was there an added requirement? If you remember, we're going back, we're dealing with the Judaizers. The Judaizers had come in, they began to teach all of these things. What was it? Jesus plus adhering to the law plus doing this, plus doing this. Nowhere in Scripture does God the Father, Jesus, do they come and they say, well, once you accept Jesus, then you do all of these things, then you become this. No. We talked about justification. The act of God, the act, a singular act, whereby he declared a believing sinner righteous, one act, when I place faith and trust in him, I've been declared righteous, that the, I've been imputed, the deposit of righteousness was put into my life. The Holy Spirit now comes, lives inside of me, and dwells within me. 
Nowhere does it say once you do these things and keep all of this, now we'll go there. And Paul is reminding them. Did you receive the Spirit because of the works of the law? Or did you receive the Spirit because of the faith that you had in hearing the Word of God? There was no requirement. You received the Spirit because of the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's God's grace that is needed. God's grace that reached out to touch us that we would then place our faith. The Holy Spirit is the believer's most unmistakable evidence of God's favor, his greatest proof of salvation, and the guarantee of eternal glory. It is the changed life, the Holy Spirit that comes within us, that changes us, that is the evidence. Romans 8, 9 says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God, what? Dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of this. 1 John 4, 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us because he hath what? Given us his Spirit. He asks these questions. Do you have this Spirit? How did you receive it? Was it because of the hard work that you had? Were you good enough back then? Well, no, you said you weren't good enough. You said you didn't need that. It was by this. It was the belief. It was faith. It was trust. Therefore, it is crazy to think that there is anything extra that has to happen. You receive the Holy Spirit, not a portion of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. When you come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we receive God. We don't receive a portion of that. We receive him. All of it. I know that, especially in the Baptist church, this is a, a kind of a topic that we don't hit on, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it. But it's the Holy Spirit that God gave us to be our comfort, to guide us, to convict us, to keep us. The Holy Spirit is not a voodoo word. It's not a weird thing that's out there. It's in faith that we believe it, but it's, it's something that we've kind of shied away from because it's taught so erroneously because of feelings in other portions. When I came to know Jesus Christ, I, I received all of it. So as we place our faith and trust in him, that is the evidence, but he asks the question, is it because of all of your good works or is it because you've placed faith and trust in him? A person who does not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit does not need a second blessing. He needs salvation. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is inseparable from the new birth. At no time before salvation can a person have the indwelling spirit, and at no time after salvation can he not have him. Ephesians chapter 1 and 13 and 14, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is our earnest. It is our down payment, if you will, of the inheritance that we would receive. It is our guarantee that we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He simply completes this question with a statement. Do you not remember that you received this spirit by hearing of the word of God with faith? The Holy Spirit is essential for our walk. We've talked about the sanctification in these last several weeks, looking at justification. Listen, it is the Holy Spirit that convicts us. It is the Holy Spirit that seals us. It is the Holy Spirit that fills us. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us to live and walk and talk and breathe so that others would know that we know him. The evidence of my Christian life is because the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in me and I act that out. And I love this statement and we'll continue on with the questions. The Holy Spirit, and I believe that this is a false teaching of many, that this is the the, the thing. The Holy Spirit is not the goal of the Christian life but is its source. The Holy Spirit is not the goal of the Christian life. It is the source of our Christian life. He is not the product of faithful living, but is the power behind faithful living. A higher level of living does not bring the Holy Spirit. Rather, submission to the Holy Spirit would bring us to a place of, if you call it higher living, it's just simply walking by faith and trusting in Him. But that happens as we submit to the Lord. It isn't by our works that we would gain more. It's in submission. And Paul gets down in the nitty-gritty of it, and he says, just give me this one answer. Did you receive this because of all of the great things that you have done and you have adhered to? Or did you receive this because you've placed your faith in trust in Jesus Christ? Questions three and four in verse number three. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He asks him, are you foolish? There's that word again. He continues where he left off with the last question. Since you began in the spirit, how then would you be perfected in the flesh? If it takes faith to know God as Savior, if it takes saving faith here, then it takes a saving or a living faith to continue to live my life. I can't stop here. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I can't stop and go, oh, well, now I have to do all of these things. 
No, it's placing faith and trust in Christ here and then living that same faith. It's a living faith that allows me to continue to press on. The last word that I used was submission. It's me submitting to God. It's me submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's me in submission, humbly saying, God, I need you. How does that happen? In faith, a living faith, day by day by day. How have you begun in the Spirit, and now all of a sudden, it's your perfect works that are going to get you there? It's the work of God that's going to perfect, it's the work of your works that are going to perfect you in that process? No. Can your weak, imperfect flesh improve on what the divine Spirit of God began in you? No. Drift, it's, it's, we talked about a lot of this last week even. It's in faith. It's that living faith. How often, though, we live right here. I've come to know Christ, but now I've got to continue to do all of these things. I've got to, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. No. As we submit to God, the natural is we act. But so often, this is where we live. Yes, there's works that come with salvation. But they are just that. They are works of the Spirit in and through us. But as I've come to know Him as Savior... I can't do anything to make my relationship because of my actions better. That doesn't change. My standing doesn't change. All of these things don't change because all of a sudden I want to do good things. He says, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And that word flesh is not speaking of sin. Oftentimes throughout scripture, it talks of the flesh as sin. But this is this. Is this. We've been reconciled. We've been justified. We use all these big words. We've come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Here's the problem. What was left? <laughs> this. <laughs> he left me in this flesh. And so now what am I doing? It's a constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. Which am I feeding? As I feed my flesh, I act out in the flesh. As I speed, or feed my spirit, I begin to live more in such a manner. And so he's looking at this and he says, he's speaking of that, that my, my flesh, my, the sinful flesh that was left here, it isn't this flesh that can perfect my walk. But so often this is where we live. So often, this is where we live. I know in my own life, as a pastor, I have thought things like this throughout the week. Man, last Sunday, there was only 150 people here. Maybe if I do these things this week, God would give us 200 people. If only I would do this. God doesn't work like that. 
well, I was good in my life. I, I did really good. I, my studies were really great this week. And, and so this week, God's going to give us 170 people. I live like that sometimes. If I would do, then God will. And that's not how God works in our lives. That's not how God works. And so as we look at this, even in, in, in maybe it's in counseling, somebody would come and they would say, well, Pastor, this is the issue, and this is the issue of sin, or this is the issue of this, and I would say, or, well, you've got to make sure that you do this. Read your Bible a little bit more, be in church a little bit more. Why don't you start serving? Hey, have, are you giving? Hey, what are you, how about this? And if you stop this, and if you stop this, and if you stop this, and if you start this, and then you quit doing this, and you quit doing that, then we'll, we'll be okay. How much sense does that make? According to God's word, that makes zero sense whatsoever. But that's what we do in our life. Make sure that you get an accountability partner. Hey, all of those things are good. Some of those questions aren't bad to ask. Hey, how are you doing in serving? You've stepped out of this. You've done this. You've done that. And hey, where are we with those things? But here's what it ultimately comes back to when we look at this. Are we foolish? Have we begun in the spirit and now are we being made perfect in the flesh? I am trying to perfect my life in the flesh, not by saying, God, I need to stop. I need to humbly bow before you and give this to you as opposed to me saying, well, I'll do it because I can handle it. That's what we do. The reality is we can't do anything outside of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in and through you. God has to do it. Before salvation, we needed grace. After salvation, we need grace. What is grace? The unmerited favor of God, that which he does for us and in us and through us, that which we could never do by ourselves. I can't save myself. I actually don't even desire to be saved by myself. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and tugs and moves. That's the grace of God that drew you to be here today. It's the grace of God that gave you breath today. It's the grace of God that does all those things. And it is the grace of God that will continue to drive us through. But what we do is we say, I'm okay, I can handle this today. And when we get to the place where we say, I can't, and I'm willing to humble myself, this is when all of these things begin to take place. Paul says, did you save yourself? Did you help yourself? No. Only God's grace. So now what? Submit ourselves before God and say, God, I can't. But only you can. I can't. You can. Question number five. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain. This is a tough one for all of us. He basically says this. And I'm going to assume that you've all heard this before. If you haven't heard it, you've asked somebody. 
did you not learn anything? Have you been through a trial in your life? Did you come out on the other side and somebody look at you and say, why then did you just do it again? Paul says, did you not learn anything? Was everything that just happened in your life, all of the things that God just showed you, all of the revealing, all that God just did, the huge billboard of Jesus Christ hanging upon a cross for your salvation, you saying, I can't do it by myself, but I need a Savior. Did all of that stuff, did you not learn anything? Did you miss it all? I've shared with you my story of of leaving the other ministry and coming to here and the hurt and some of the things that I went through. If somebody would have came to me five years later, six years later, ten years later, here we are now almost 14 years later, and nothing had changed in my life, I would expect somebody to go, hey, Aaron, did you not learn anything? Why are you still miserable? That was 15 years ago. God brought you through this. Why are you now doing the same things that you were doing then? He says, was all of that hardship in vain? Listen to this, and we're going to question six. This is a very quick one. When God uses our inadequacies, the question of did I learn Did it not cause me to see my limitations and my need for God? God isn't unwilling to help. He is simply waiting for you and I to say, help. And this is so incredibly humbling. God is not opposed to you and I facing more. Have you ever thought in your life, man, it's just piling on right now. I have. (laughs) God, when is this going to stop? God is not opposed to you and I facing more because here's what God's after. He's after you and me going, God, (laughs) help! I can't do it any longer. And until he takes us to the place where we are saying, God, I need you. He's not opposed to continuing to take us, continually taking us to that place. For some, it's farther than others. But trials and temptations don't stop. But they happen. Why? Because he is constantly wanting to perfect us through his spirit that we would constantly say, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. I can't. And we'll get there. All right, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. Oh, man, things are good. We're good. We're all right. Boom. All right, God, I got it. I got it. Time out. I can't do it. Six months, three months, a year. Ah, we're good. We get what? Comfortable. We get unguarded. We get foolish. And God says, oh, hey, hey, let me remind you of who I am real quick. Bow. Why? Not because he doesn't like and he's a hateful God. No. Because he wants to draw us to himself. He's constantly perfecting us. And the last question is, he 
He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith. This is, God hath provided us his Spirit and the miracles among you. Did that happen because of the law or did that happen by faith? He provides, that is, he generously, he abundantly supplies unto you and I. He provides and works miracles. He's powerfully working in our midst. That's not that God is working in our midst like, oh, that's really cool. Look at what God's doing out there. No, that's in us. He's working in us. The power, the miracle is, 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 is in us. Listen, if you know Christ as Savior, that was a miraculous, powerful work of God that happened in you. You say, well, God never does miracles in my life. One, you're alive. But if you know Christ as Savior, that's miraculous. Because literally, we talked about it last week, we were dead in sin and trespasses. We were born in the ground. (laughs) And he quickened us and raised us to life. That's miraculous. He says, did that happen because of the law? Or did that happen by faith in Christ? Today, God has abundantly poured out his spirit and his ability upon us. Not because of our obedience, rather our faith. This isn't, this is something that he has done in us through the work of faith. If faith is what it took to begin salvation, it's that same faith day by day, by day, by day, minute by minute, moment by moment, that is going to keep us, not keep us in his hands. When we've given it to him, we are in his hands. We will not be left. But it's that I would, by faith, live that. How do I say no? It's in the faith of Jesus Christ. How do I continue to walk with him? It's in faith. It's not me just saying, all right, God, I have faith that you can do it. What's happening? God, why aren't you doing anything? I know that you can. He said, no, I've done it in you. Now get up. Because I've called you to go do it. Pastor, why don't we do dot, 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 dot? I don't know if he's laid it on your heart. Why aren't you doing it? Come on, let's do it. Well, but... That's why we're not doing it. It's a faith step by step by step. And when God lays it on your heart, and when God calls you to it, when rough times come, when good times come, when bad times come, whatever it is, it's in faith we say, God, I can't. And he's waiting for what? For you to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. What did I say last week? When all of those things come knocking at your door, If you answer it, you allow it in. That's when you say, God, (laughs) I can't. I can't answer that door because it's going to take me back to where I was. God, I can't do that. It's going to take me back to where I was. It's this. It's me saying in prayer, God, I woke up this morning. Thank you. I I can't do this today. 
Prayer is what? Prayer is simply you saying, God, I need you. When do people pray? When they're in trouble. We ought to pray. What does the Word of God say? Pray without ceasing, continually. We should pray before the storm. We should pray in the midst of the storm. And we should continue to pray at the end of the storm. Praising God because why? God is worthy to be praised, yes. But it's me humbly bowing before him and saying, I can't do it. We talked of the law last week just a little bit. What is the law there for? It shows me my inadequacies, and it shows me how great of a need that I have for him. And every time we go before him and we say, God, these are the, I need you because I can't. All of the things that we looked at, these six questions this morning, bringing us constantly back to examine ourselves according to the word of God, not according to the law of God, not according to the actions, but according to the word of God. And I would beg you, I plead with you, are you examining your life according to the word of God? Do you this morning know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Not that I'm a good person, not that I've been in church, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that there's been a time in my life where I've said yes to God and no to self. Yes, God, you are Lord. Yes, God, I thank you that you sent your son to die upon a cross to cover my sins. God, I am placing faith and trust in you because I know that outside of me, outside of you, I could not do that because I can't earn that. Have you ever done that? If you have this morning, you would be in this spot of all of those questions being asked. Because now is it about what you do? I'm doing all of these things. Why would all these things happen to me? I serve in every ministry at Oasis Baptist Church. Great. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible does God say, Thou shalt serve at every ministry at your church. He says, love me. Know me. As you do those things, I promise you, you'll serve. But he doesn't say in doing those things, you're going to have a closer relationship with him. They all should go hand in hand. But my relationship with God is not standing here as a preacher. My relationship with God is not holding a microphone and singing. My relationship with God is not cleaning the floors or holding a baby or working in children's ministry. That is a byproduct of my relationship with God. We have made it our relationship with God, and that becomes our salvation. And that's not at all what God has ever intended for it to be. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.church.